Welcome to the Spot Doctor Podcast. I'm Dr. Trevor Cates. Today we're talking about dietary and lifestyle approaches to treating autoimmune disease. My guest has a phenomenal personal story that has led her to not only offer hope for people with chronic debilitating diseases, but also diet and lifestyle changes that provide real solutions that she's done quite a bit of research on. My guest is Dr. Terry Walls, who is an Institute for Functional Medicine certified practitioner and a clinical professor of medicine at the University of Iowa, where she conducts clinical trials. In 2018, she was awarded the Institute for Functional Functional Medicine's Linus Pauling Award for her contributions in research, clinical care, and patient advocacy. She's also a patient herself with secondary progressive multiple sclerosis, which confined her to a tilt-recline wheelchair for four years. Dr. Walls restored her health using a diet and lifestyle program she designed specifically for her brain and now pedals her bike to work each day. She's the author of The Walls Protocol, How I Beat Progressive MS Using Paleo Principles in Functional Medicine, and The Walls Protocol, A Radical New Way to Treat All Chronic immune, Autoimmune Conditions Using Paleo Principles, and a cookbook, The Walls Protocol for Cooking for Life. She conducts clinical trials that test the effects of nutrition and lifestyle interventions to treat MS and other progressive health problems. She also teaches the public and medical community about the healing power of diet and therapeutic lifestyle changes that restore health and vitality. So her protocol is not only great for people with MS, but many other health issues and also just to help optimize overall health. In today's interview, Dr. Walls comes back on the podcast to share her story. She has been on the podcast before, but it was one of my very first podcast episodes and it was audio only, so I'm excited to have her back on. She also shares the exciting research that she's been working on and specific diet and lifestyle tips to help people with autoimmune conditions, including psoriasis, and new developments in the WALS protocol. So a lot of really great information that she shares, a lot of inspiration and hope, and real practical advice. So please enjoy this interview. Terry, it's so great to have you back on the Spot Doctor podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, so you've been on the podcast before and shared your story and your journey and what you're up to. And it's been a while since you've been on. You've been busy. You've got some updates. Uh, so before you tell us kind of what's new and what's going on with you, for the people who didn't catch your podcast before, can you tell everyone about your journey and what led sure. you to specialize in what you do? Uh, so I have uh, progressive multiple sclerosis and had went relentlessly downhill for seven years. Uh, despite taking thousands of dollars worth of drugs every month, seeing the best people in the country. Um, but fortunately, I'd been reading the basic science, ancestral health principles, uh, and then discovered functional medicine. Integrating all those things, I created a diet and lifestyle protocol designed specifically for my brain. And to my amazement, it got me out of my wheelchair. Uh, it stopped my trigeminal neuralgia, stopped the brain fog, and really got me... Uh, remarkably better. Uh, my chief of staff and my uh, ch uh, chairman of medicine uh, told me to get a case report written up, which we did. Uh, then they called me back and said, 
change your research program. We want you to do a safety and feasibility trial. Um, and so I did that. Uh, and now we've done four trials. We'll soon be uh, starting our fifth. Uh, and so it, it certainly has changed the way I practice medicine and of course uh, the type of research that I now do. And, and how, how has it changed the type of medicine that you do? Well, you know, I was a conventional internal medicine doc. I believed in the best science, which I still believe in, by the way. Uh, and I uh, was heavily uh, used pharmaceuticals, uh, technologies, uh, and was deeply skeptical of special diets and supplements, complementary alternative medicine. Uh, but uh, through my own uh, experience in discovering that the best conventional medicine was not able to stop my slide towards a bedridden, uh, uh, possibly demented, uh, possibly intractable pain future. Uh, that got me uh, to read the basic science. It would eventually get me to experiment it on myself. And then, you know, to my amazement, I, I'm able to create this protocol that transforms my health. Uh, and then I began talking to my patients about the power of food uh, and diet and lifestyle. And I become actually very effective at getting them to make these big shifts uh, in diet and lifestyle. Uh, and we saw people with uh, diabetes, obesity, begin to lose weight and get better. And then I saw people with rheumatoid arthritis, systemic lupus, uh, psoriasis, inflammatory bowel disease, uh, get better in clinic. Then of course our clinical trials, uh, we saw the same kind of thing that people with MS were uh, finally able to stabilize their disease as well. Yeah, and it's it's amazing that the work that you're doing. I I hear all the time that this mis misunderstanding, misbelief that natural medicine and and diets don't really have any real research um, and science behind them. And um, so when people say that to you, what do you what do you say? What's your response? Well, you know, it, it's fascinating. Uh, when I first began talking about all this stuff, um, they were very adamant that. Uh, there was no research that, well, you clearly couldn't have had MS because people with progressive MS don't recover. So your physicians must have been incompetent. And, and so my response is, okay, so let's assume that my uh, physicians in Wisconsin at the Cleveland Clinic, the University of Iowa, somehow were all uniformly incompetent. Then we have to figure out how to address the fact that I've done now four clinical trials and have consistently found favorable results in prospective studies where other people, other than me, agree that they have multiple sclerosis. And so, you know, my response is, you can, you can decide that I, I don't really matter. It's the fact that I've taken the time to do clinical trials and I publish my results in peer-reviewed scientific publications and that we've gotten external funding uh, you know, now by the MS Society, millions of dollars uh, to do my work. Uh, so the good news is because we have influenced public opinion and uh, shifted the MS Society to make uh, dietary intervention studies a research priority, now there are more people studying dietary interventions. In fact, uh, last time I looked, there are 13 dietary intervention studies uh, that have either been conducted or are in the process of being conducted. And of note, of those 13 studies, I'm involved in five of them, and of, was principal investigator in four of them. So it, it's happening. 
people in the neurology community is finally agreeing that yes, diet quality matters a great deal. Yeah, and and it's not it's not cheap to do a clinical trial. So how do you help with like how do you get the funding for this? How do you get yeah support? You know, uh, so in the beginning, uh, we managed to do this uh, by uh, philanthropic support from a group in Canada, uh, and then a PhD student uh, was uh, worked in our lab. We used our data for her uh, dissertation, uh, and then we have undergraduate students that helped us get those first couple small pilot studies going. And then once you have pilot data, then you can write for clinical trials, uh, grant proposals that are much more compelling, which is how we got the millions of dollars from the MS Society. And you know now we have uh, a track record uh, and have funding. Uh, and so we can continue to grow and expand our research program. You know that's part of why we're able to, uh, we're in the process of getting approval for our fifth clinical trial. And this one's gonna be like so exciting, uh, Trevor, because in this trial, we'll finally begin to answer the question that I care most deeply about is, diet and lifestyle, no drugs versus standard of care, eat what you want, but take the drugs. And, and so in that study, we'll be comparing uh, measures of walking, thinking, vision, and biomarkers, including MRI. And we'll follow people for a year and we'll see what happens. And so that is, uh, that will be a hugely, hugely important study. It'll take us several years to get, you know, the enrollment and then the follow-up. So it'll probably be three years before we have the answer uh, to that study. But so exciting. Yeah, that's so exciting. Thank you for all the work you do in this. So Terry, now you you have MS, but you also help people with other um, chronic illnesses, and with, you know, yeah. focus on autoimmune disease, right? So what what is it? Do you feel like are kind of the causes behind why people develop these issues? Because I'm sure that that's a big part of the, the dietary approach is addressing what's yeah. really going on behind it. You know. Uh, there's always a, a complicated interaction between the genes that you have that increase your risk ever so slightly and a lifetime of dietary choices, uh, the microbes that you have living on your skin, in your gut, uh, and throughout your body, uh, your toxins to which you've been exposed, your balance of stress hormones and your sex hormones and your thyroid hormones, uh, and the uh, self-talk. Uh, your social environment, uh, all of those things interact. Now, we can't do much about our genes. We can change our diet and our lifestyle, and that will influence which genes are on and off. Of course, we can reduce our exposures, and we can change what we're eating to make sure we have the nutrients that we need. And what we're seeing is you know, big shifts clinically, and we're seeing big shifts in our clinical trials. And now that the basic science is catching up to understand more about uh, epigenetics and the microbiome, uh, more of my neuroscientist colleagues and my neurology colleagues are embracing that, um, yes, even if you're taking drugs, it's so important that you improve the quality of your diet and begin a meditative program and begin an exercise program. Okay. Well, I definitely want to dive into to each of these. So 
with diet, what are some of the, the main aspects of, of um, the diet you, do you find are crucial for um, helping? Well, you know, the, the radical thing is I want people to cut out the added sugars, uh, get rid of the processed foods, and begin eating vegetables. Um, so we, we ramp up the greens, uh, the sulfur-rich vegetables, and the cabbage, onion, mushroom family, and the deeply colored uh, pigmented you know, beets, carrots, berries. Uh, and we have protein, a sufficient amount, not a high protein, but a sufficient amount of protein. And we want to have plenty of fat. Our brain is 70% fat, so we need to have cholesterol. We need to have omega-3 fat, omega-6 fat, uh, so grass-fed meat, wild fish, uh, if your budget can afford that, uh, flax oil, hemp oil, walnut oil, uh, fish oil. Uh, and then we also want to remove the most inflammatory foods. So sugar, processed foods, we want to replace that with vegetables. And we want to remove gluten, uh, gluten-containing grains, so wheat, rye, barley, and many ancient grains. And we want to remove casein, uh, because those two proteins can be very inflammatory, uh, particularly if you have the DQ2, DQ8 alleles. Yeah, and, and of course those are, now those are kind of across the board because some people will say, oh, I've, I've, I don't have an allergy, I don't have celiac disease, I should be okay with eating gluten. So what, what are your thoughts? Do you think it's everyone should be off of gluten? So I think everyone should should uh, remove gluten and remove casein. And also uh, have them remove eggs uh, for three months. And then if they want to uh, re-experiment and bring in one ingredient at a time, so bring eggs back in on Sunday, have an have a omelet, have several eggs, see how it goes. And if it goes well, fine, you can have eggs. Then the next thing I'd bring back would be dairy and see if you tolerate dairy. Uh, and if you do well, uh, so have it on Sunday and see how the week goes. Be sure that you and your spouse and family all agree that you had a good week. Because sometimes if you become irritable, you don't have any insight that you just became uh, so irritable, but your family will give you feedback. And then on the third week, then you try gluten. And there will be a few folks who may discover that they can tolerate uh, the gluten and the casein. Uh, but if they go back to a lot of sugar, a lot of processed foods, They'll shift their microbiome and their genes back in an unfavorable way, and they will slowly develop uh, the symptoms. Now, the people who, who find it the easiest will be those who have acute symptoms uh, within a, uh, a few hours or a couple of days. If the symptoms come back gradually, uh, that, then of course, it's much more challenging to keep your diet pure. Mm -hmm. So, so explain why eggs are a problem for people. I think mm -hmm. that one surprises a lot of people. And I certainly see it as one of the big trigger foods for skin issues. I talk about it in my book. I tell people to avoid yeah. eggs as well. So, but so, what's your experience? Yeah, the protein in eggs. Um, so eggs have a lot of great nutrition, particularly the yolk. Um, so a lot of really wonderful nutrition in that yolk. But the albumin, the egg protein, can again act as an inflammatory trigger activating the innate immune cell activity, uh, increasing inflammatory cytokines, uh, increasing problems with inflammatory bowel disease, uh, problems with the skin, and problems with the brain. It's the third most common inflammatory uh, uh, big uh, protein source. So for that reason, 
I tell people, you have to take it entirely out of your diet for three months and then reintroduce it. And I'd start with the yolks alone, because that's the one that you'll most likely benefit from and most likely tolerate. And then add in the whites and see if you tolerate them. And you might. Mm -hmm. But the only way to know is to remove them, because we don't have a blood test yet that specifically answers, do you have an innate response or an adaptive immune response to the egg protein? Yeah, it's true. I know it, that there are tests, uh, food intolerance tests, there's food allergy testing, there's um, all kinds of tests, but they're not perfect, right? They, they don't show all the possible reactions to, to a food, right? They aren't perfect. None of our tests are perfect. I mean, I have to stress that. The, the test that is perfect is the elimination diet. You take it all the way out, then you meticulously, you know, I like to do the medical symptoms questionnaire. You do that on Sunday. You eat the food that you're testing. You and your family rate your symptoms that you're most concerned about. And then you, at the end of the week, after seven days, you rate your symptoms. You take the medical symptoms questionnaire. And you and your family agree that you had a great week. That's not a problem. Or you had less than a great week. And it might be a problem. Yeah. Well, unfortunately for me, you know, I have tried general neuralgia. Uh, and so when my inflammation revs up, my trigeminal neuralgia revs up. And so I have these horrific electrical face pains that I cannot ignore. Uh, and so that makes it, uh, I have a very easy monitor. Uh, and if I begin to have a little subtle uh, sensory disturbance on my face, I'm like, okay, what happened in my environment? Things are going haywire. I need to improve my environment, figure out what my trigger is, because if I don't get on top of this, my face pain will turn back on and I'll be incapacitated by pain. Yeah, it's, 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 uh, I'm, it's a kind of a blessing and a curse to have that kind of symptom, right? To, to, oh, be able to have know, it was, it was very difficult for 27 years, relentless worsening. Yeah. But now I understand that it's also a gift because it's this tremendous biosensor of the inflammation levels in my brain and spinal cord. And if my sensation, my face is a little bit off, I'm like, okay, what can I improve so I can get everything fully calmed down again? It's true. So we so often we ignore symptoms or try and suppress them. And certainly skin is it's one of the reasons why I love to focus on skin is it's oftentimes one of the first signs, warning signs the body gives us. And the tendency is is in the typical approach is just to suppress that symptom rather than look at why is it showing up. So I think it's so what you talk about in the symptom checklist. I, I, I can't stress that enough. In my 20 years as an HMLA doctor, I always go through that, you know, the symptom checklist. I have it in my book. I think it's so important because people don't make these connections because it's not the way conventional medicine talks about the way the body works and like paying attention to symptoms. It's just like, it's annoying. So take an Advil and then it'll go away or whatever. And, um, so we send people off for very expensive lab tests, you know, hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars depending on the test. When, if we could teach them to tune in to their symptoms, these subtle symptoms of dysfunction and work to steadily improve those, then people get very immediate, can get much closer to immediate feedback. Uh, and I acknowledge that it, 
what we're asking people to do, change diet, give up food that gives us a lot of pleasure, start eating new foods that we haven't, we don't yet know how they fit into our life or our family's life. That's a really big ask. I, I find that I'm much more successful if I can help them tune into their biosensors, figure out what symptoms are most useful for them to monitor as a prelude for, in my case, by trigeminal neuralgia, uh, that I can monitor and adjust my environment to take care of all those biosensor symptoms. That has been a game changer uh, for my patients as I teach them how to really hone in on these subtle biosensor symptoms. I wanted to go back to talking about cholesterol. Um, because I think this is something that still confuses people that oh, yeah. eating fats um, is, you know, that might raise their cholesterol levels and their doctors checking their cholesterol levels. They're telling them they need to cut back on the fat because their cholesterol levels are high. What do you, how do you feel about that? What do you think about cholesterol levels and food playing a role in that? So we monitored uh, lipids uh, in my clinical trials. And what we were able to show is as people implemented the Walls diet, their trans fat intake went markedly down, their carbohydrates went down, uh, their the uh, omega-3 and omega-6 fat uh, intake went up, the total cholesterol stayed flat or went down slightly, triglycerides marked, uh, dropped markedly, and the good cholesterol HDL went up markedly. So, great profile changes. Uh, now, in, my, in the study that I'm doing, Right now, we don't have um, uh, that. Well, I won't know those results until uh, probably the summer when, we're, when everyone is done with the study and we're analyzing our data. My, my um, observation when I read the literature, the most important number for brain health, heart health, is your HDL cholesterol. That doesn't really respond very well to pharmaceutical drugs, so uh, the cardiologists don't talk much about it. It does respond to following a paleo diet, to following a low carb diet, to getting rid of added sugar, to exercise, to having more polyphenols, to taking more fish oil. So there's a lot we can do that will improve your good cholesterol. And you wanna be sure that you have your triglycerides uh, falling. I prefer to have a cholesterol between 200 and 250. I can, uh, depending on the clinical situations, I understand if someone's had a heart attack, had a stroke, then they may want their uh, total cholesterol uh, uh, lower than 250, and they may want it under 200. But the vast majority, 200 to 250 is perfectly fine. Uh, and in my read of the research, that number between 200 and 250 has the best brain outcomes, the, the lowest risk of stroke, the lowest risk of dementia, the lowest risk of mental health problems. And, you know, and if you drive your cholesterol too low, let's say you get it down to 150, your cardiologist might be thrilled. But then you can't make your estrogen. You can't make your testosterone. That's terrible for your brain. And you can't make um, vitamin D. Also terrible, terrible for your brain and terrible for um, your uh, cancer risk and your autoimmune risk and your infection risk. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for clarifying that. Um, okay, so let's check your talking about meditation. You mentioned the importance of meditation 
uh, being a big part of, of a, you know, a treatment approach. So what are, you, what are the things that you've noticed in your research and your own personal experience? Well, uh, so we saw that for most people as they came in and were uh, going through their history, particularly in the two years before they had their initial diagnosis, there was often a major life stressor. It might have been a financial stressor, a, uh, a relationship stressor, a work stressor that was uh, severe and sustained. Uh, and that's a very consistent finding. I, as I relate that back to my patients, I say, it's not the sole reason why you developed your disease, but it certainly was an accelerant. And so part of your healing needs to be adopting a stress-reducing practice. And we might do it with mindfulness, with meditation, with Epsom salts, uh, with self-massage, uh, with uh, a peer support group, with a gratitude journal, Tai Chi, yoga. So, so there are many different ways that they can do this. It's a matter of finding uh, a, an approach that works for them uh, and their family. Uh, uh, we practice, uh, we, we talk about uh, a variety of meditative practices uh, and I, I help the person identify which one uh, is the most appealing for them. And then we practice uh, in clinic, uh, in, in the clinical uh, trial visits. So the person becomes comfortable and skilled with incorporating this into their life. Yeah, and so important. The consistency on this is really important, right? To, to be doing yes. this as a regular practice, not just on the weekends when you have a little extra time. You'll get a lot more, a lot more benefit if you do it every day, absolutely. Right, and then also mindset too is a big part of this as well, right? What we believe will happen it's much more likely to happen. So if we can't imagine uh, a, a different future, a more positive future, that's gonna be much more successful. Um, I, I, I tell my patients that we, we create everything often three times. First, uh, we imagine it. Then we might write about it or draw about it. And then through our actions, we, we actually create it. So, but the very first step is imagining the possibility. Sometimes it's hard to imagine that, right? I mean, I'm sure you were there. I'm sure when you were in a wheelchair, it was well, hard and, to imagine. And part of my adaptation uh, uh, to being so ill and having a relentless decline was letting go of the future and accepting that, okay, I'll just take each day as it unfolds, one day at a time. And so as I began to recover, uh, I was still taking one day at a time. And so I'm up walking around, and I'm still taking it one day at a time uh, until the day I got on my bike. And I biked around the block. You know, my wife's crying, my kids are crying, I'm crying. And if I talk about it much longer, I'll start crying now because it just felt so miraculous. It just was so miraculous because I, I knew that I would never be able to bike again. Uh, and if I could bike around the block, and I hadn't done it in six years, that the current understanding of progressive multiple sclerosis was incorrect. It was incomplete. Uh, and then, you know, six months later, I do an 18.5 mile bike ride with my family. I, and of course, by then I'm, I'm changing our practice, 
uh, and my outlook on everything is radically different. You provide so much hope for people. Um, and yeah. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. If I can come back from as being uh, brain fog, I could not sit up as I am now. It was a struggle to walk 10 feet. Uh, and I was having increasingly severe and horrific trigeminal neuralgia. So if I could come back from that knife's edge of profound, profound disability and pain to a rich and full life, you know, doing research, traveling the world, changing the course of how MS care is being delivered, then absolutely there is hope for everyone. Yeah. So the movement that you're talking about, like walking, biking, what do you tell people as far as getting exercise and moving their bodies? Ah, so the, the secret is uh, to grow more muscles. You want to damage them ever so slightly. So your immune cells have to come in, fix the damage, build a slightly stronger muscle cell. So it should be a little bit hard, but not too hard. If it's not hard at all, then, then you're not going to build a stronger muscle cell. But if it's too hard, such that there's more damage than what your cells can repair overnight, you went too far. So my uh, suggestion here is you want to feel a little bit challenging. You want to be able to tomorrow have been able to do the same workout. And today you want to be able to do the function well for the rest of the day. If you can't function the rest of the day, you've done too much. If you can't do the same workout tomorrow, uh, you've done too much. If it wasn't hard at all, then you got to step it up a little bit. Uh, and so depending on where people are at, so I see some really, really sick folks. And so doing uh, a two-minute gentle stretching exercise might be all that they can possibly do. But I also see some folks who are uh, just out of the military. And they can do a seven minute high intensity interval workout and it's not hard enough and I have to talk okay, let's, let's try a 20 minute high intensity interval workout because you could we need you to have to actually break a sweat and work hard so that it should be a little hard you should be able to function the rest of your day and function the next day mm -hmm. yeah okay so what about other types of therapies that um, you can add in? I mean, a lot of what we talked about is like general lifestyle things, but what about supplements, detoxification, those, those sorts of tools? Okay, so uh, we talk um, about detox. There are many ways to detox. Uh, and so uh, deep breathing, uh, dry brushing, uh, mud baths, mud soaks, Epsom salts uh, soaks. If you can tolerate heat, uh, saunas, steam rooms. Uh, so all of those are, are very, very helpful. Supplements. I think supplements are a little tricky. And you want to work with a practitioner who can help guide you and support you. Because all of our um, nutrients, even water, have a U-shaped curve. So at low end, uh, if you're not enough of that nutrient, you're gonna have health consequences. At really high levels of that nutrient, you'll have health consequences. So for water, if we don't have enough water, we, we can die of dehydration. If we have too much water, then we can have water intoxication and we can have a stroke and serious brain damage as a result. 
And they're like, oh my God, I didn't realize. So if even water has a U-shaped curve, everything that we eat has a U-shaped curve. Therefore, when you're taking a supplement, now you have to be mindful that you want someone to help you sort out so that you are stay in the healthy range. So I, I'd rather talk about what are the blood levels, some key things that you should monitor, and then work with your practitioner to make sure you're supplemented to be in the, in the good range. Vitamin D, great example. We want people in the top half of the reference range. Uh, if they get too high, we're gonna have to worry about vitamin D intoxication. Too low, then you're uh, vitamin D deficient. Homocysteine uh, is a great marker for uh, vitamin B vitamin pathways. So I wanna have the homocysteine between four and seven, ideally. And then depending on the person's history and their disease states, there will be other nutrients that I'm uh, assessing either based on the physical exam. And I love the skin because that gives me so many clues. And I love the nails and the mouth and the lips. So I get lots of clues about nutritional insufficiencies uh, that I can address uh, and I can monitor simply by uh, following those uh, skin clues. Uh, or uh, again, depending on their history, there may be additional minerals that I want to monitor, uh, fatty acid levels uh, or vitamin levels. It, it is tricky when I see people coming in who are already taking uh, high-dose fish oil, they can uh, create problems for themselves. I've seen folks who come in with high-dose vitamin D and made themselves vitamin D intoxicated. So supplements can be very, very helpful, but please work with your uh, personal physician to help guide you to be sure that you're in that healthy range. Do you have any tips on people uh, guiding people to find the right practitioner to work with? Well, the first one, um, so many of the um, uh, primary care docs are, should feel very excited that you want to eat more vegetables, meditate, and exercise. And if they aren't, I would start shopping around and find someone who is. So that's sort of the, the minimum bar. If they aren't excited about more vegetables, meditation, and exercise, you need a new practice. Uh, then uh, I would look for someone who has had additional training, uh, the Institute for Functional Medicine uh, and the um, A4M are two great organizations that I'm very familiar with. Uh, Andy Wiles group uh, with the uh, Integrative Functional Medicine Fellowship is another third group uh, that can be very helpful. Uh, now that functional medicine, integrative medicine has become more popular, there are more people saying, I'm doing functional medicine, but they've not received any training. Mm -hmm. So I would look for what are the additional training that that practitioners had so you know that they're knowledgeable. Right, it is tricky. I mean, same thing with naturopathic physicians that when you know you, somebody sees a naturopathic physician, you wanna make sure that they're, um, they attended one of the accredited naturopathic medical schools, a four-year, program in-person program not a correspondence on the on online kind of program because there are people out there calling themselves naturopathic or naturopaths that are don't actually have you know uh, they'll have that experience yeah yeah so, and i suppose the, it, it's nice to see that people find functional medicine naturopathic uh, physicians so compelling that they're now trying to copy and cash in but it does mean that the public has to be vi uh, vigilant in looking at the qualifications of the person you're seeing. 
Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so there might be some, there, I'm sure there are people listening that say, I already have Terry's book and it's fantastic. I love it. But you have a new version. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes. So what's, what's the latest, what's new in your, in your new version of your book? So uh, first one is I spent a lot more time growing internal motivation. Uh, the science of behavior change, uh, food addictions, uh, and how we grow that internal motivation. Great information there. A lot more information on fasting and the many ways we can get into ketosis that uh, go beyond coconut milk. Um, so we talk about an olive oil version of a ketogenic diet. I talk about uh, intermittent fasting, time-restricted feeding, periodic fasting, and how I monitor people when I put them in ketosis, who I put in ketosis, and I talk about metabolic resiliency. Why there's only a very small number of people I leave in ketosis uh, long-term. For most people, I'm looking for that metabolic resiliency, that where I flip them between ketosis, uh, burning more protein or burning more, uh, more carbs. So that's much more nuanced. Uh, and there's a lot more information about oxalates, histamines, uh, FODMAPs, uh, and how to sort out why those might be an issue for you if they are, uh, how to personalize the wall side. Uh, we talk about the elimination diet, which is the most restrictive of my diets, who might benefit from my elimination diet and how long you need to be on that. We talk about stem cells. Um, what does the research say about doing stem cells? Um, how you can access stem cells and how you can get more of your own stem cells uh, yourself, uh, which I think is uh, very, very exciting. Uh, and then the other thing that, that I'm so pleased to tell people about is more about the research that we've done, that we've published, uh, and that uh, is uh, just getting ready to get started. And how much has changed in the last six years. You know, the neurology community thought I was, they were very unhappy with me when my book came out. But now I'm being heralded much more as a brilliant visionary. Uh, and that even the neurologists are saying, yes, I want you on drugs, but you, even if you're on drugs, you gotta address your diet. You have to address stress and you need to move and you have to address your environment. And it's like they read the Walls Protocol and they're willing to say, Yes, and if you'll do the Walls Protocol, it's as good in my practice as taking these drugs. We have more and more neurologists that, in fact, are telling their patients, if, if, you, if you want to forego the drugs and do the Walls Protocol all in, we'll watch you with MRIs. And as long as the MRIs stay good, stay off the drugs and just keep doing the Walls Protocol. So... We've made so much progress, and that progress has been made possible because of people like you and the public that have driven the excitement and the demand and the expectation that diet and lifestyle matter. Yeah, and definitely, I can't believe it's been that long <clears throat> since I had you on the, the Spot Doctor podcast. You were one of my, maybe my first podcast guest, and so yeah, there's been a lot since then. So. So again, Terry, thank you so much for your work and everything that you've been doing and being such an inspiration for people. Um, was there something else you wanted to share? Well, I just wanted to let people know if they wanted to see our research papers, they could go to terrywalls.com forward slash research papers. You get access to our research papers and the gate videos uh, that show uh, the transformation of how people could walk at the beginning 
of the trial and how their gait improved by the end of the uh, end of the year. It's very, very inspirational. Oh, that's fantastic. I'll definitely check that out too. And where can people find a copy of your book? So everywhere where books are sold. If you go to my uh, website, terrywalls.com, we'll have links there as well. Okay. Again, thank you again, Terry, for coming on and all the work that you do. Keep up the great job. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this interview today with Dr. Terry Walls. To learn more about her, you can go to thespotdoctor.com, go to the podcast page with her interview, and you'll find all the information and links there. And while you're there, I invite you to join the Spot Doctor community so you don't miss any of our upcoming shows and information. And you can always hop over to iTunes and leave a review. We always love to get your feedback. And if you haven't taken the skin quiz, as we talked about during the interview, it's important to look at the messages that your skin or other health issues might be trying to tell you about what's going on internally. And you can go to theskinquiz.com and take my free online skin quiz to find out what messages your skin is trying to tell you about your overall health and what you can do about it. Just go to theskinquiz.com. Also, I invite you to join us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest. Join the conversation at The Spot Doctor. And I'll see you next time on The Spot Doctor Podcast.